and always make sure that your guys know what you want from them, what you expect from them, even when you assume it. And, and if you, you pull them out of the game, make sure they know why. And if you pull, and if they're not starting and it's close, it's another guy, make sure they know why. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nick's. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, where today's guest I'm excited to announce to you is one Kevin Kelly. Um, those of you in the football world are not going to be uh, surprised to hear some of the things that I'm going to read off about him. His bio reads so well that you would almost think he made some of this up, but I know for a fact he did not. He was the fastest coach in Arkansas history to win 200 football games. He was 18 years as the head coach with a record of 216 and 29 and one, which is almost unbelievable. Obviously, multiple coach of the year honors, won nine state championships. In the state championship years, they punted a total of six times. In the in the state championship years, not in the games, um, punted a total of six times, which is where some of you, if you've heard of the guy that owns sidekicks, goes for two and don't punt. This is your Kevin Kelly. He was also the 2016 USA Today National Football Coach of the Year. And the fourth down, no punt philosophy has been seen or recognized on ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, ESPN's First Take, NFL Films, HBO Real Sports. So amazingly, today we're going to get to talk to Kevin Kelly, and I can't wait for all of you to – uh, hear this story or learn more about him. So, Kevin, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. No, I'm glad to do it. After after you and I met a while back, I thought when you reached out to me, it was something I needed to do. So, glad to do it. Well, I appreciate it. I know you're you're busy and um, have probably done a ton of these. Um, let's get started. This is this is my first question um, because I'm very interested in you know a little bit of your history. They say when we grow up, we catch more things from our parents than are actually taught. We catch more than, you know, we're taught. What early years growing up in your house, um, what did you catch? What what traits, behavior skills or what have you did you catch that benefited you? And then the flip side of that is, you know, were there things that, you know, you had to things you learned that you had to overcome as you, you know, started out? you know, growing up? You know, I've actually thought about this a lot because I've thought about writing a book. And if anybody out there knows how to help me write a book that we can make some money on, but that's a good story. You can be my agent and help me out. Uh, but but I, I had a rough life growing up. It was like a movie childhood. You know, you got an alcoholic father that kept leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. There was a whole lot of bad stuff in the household. And, man, I learned to survive. 
you know, mm. and, and really what I learned to do was two things. And I do this so much and what I, uh, with football teams and, and, and now as I had to look big picture and, and find a way to believe, even when I was eight, nine years old, that it's not always going to be this way. And somehow, you know, I look at it as God was giving me a leading me into like, look over there, that, 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 that's the way it's going to look later on. Because, you know, I fell in love with football because when, when stuff crazy was going on in my house, I could go in there and turn on the TV on Sundays and watch the Dallas Cowboys play. And man, and I remember watching them and just the, the environment around me was awful, but I would, I could focus and hyper focus on football and I got into it, it was real emotional for me to be to to watch because and I started loving it because that was my time to get away and back then you could only watch it on Sundays you know it was Saturdays right. you get some college games and and uh but Sundays was was the day it seemed to be the day I, I, I crept to but I learned to survive for to the next day because then when I got to play football my first year I signed up for football I was nine in the fourth grade uh, uh going into four in and uh and then in fifth and sixth grade, man, there were times we had a little bridge across from uh, by my house over over Lake Hamilton, and I went and stood there and thought about jumping. There was a concrete slab underneath part of it, and man, I thought about jumping. So I mean, I can't tell you as a nine and ten year old how awful that is to think about ending your life, you know. Right. And, but I wanted, uh, but I didn't want to miss football practice, mm. and I wanted to come football practice. So what I learned from that was one survival, two. Look at big picture, not how it is now, because it's not always going to be that way. And three, I think everybody, if they're a part of something that they a group that they want to be a part of with a common goal, that's not about themselves. If you can convince people, look, if we'll go for that common goal, everything that you want for yourself will just happen. You know, that's what I learned, and that's the way I coached my football teams. Is like. Forget the selfishness, because I've if you if you can't forget it, I'm going to help you get out of that selfishness, or you can't be a part of this squad because you know our team is about our one ultimate goal, and everything else that comes with it will will come, and and the, the attention you want that will come, but it needs to come not because you're asking, but because you're playing for something else and for and for something greater than you yourself, and and that's probably the biggest thing I picked up out of that. Man, that is awesome. You know, one thing for sure, we were. We were made to be in community. You know, we were not made to be isolated, you know, and having everybody get on the same page is one of the greatest things about athletics, you know, when, when that Yeah, happens. no question. Let me ask you this. What do you think is a driving force behind, you know, like you can have two kids, like you could have had a brother raised in the same house, you know, and one learns from the experiences of, you know, a father who may struggle with this, this or this, and the other one repeats the same cycle. Like what, you know, and that's always kind of, you know, kind of been a question for me. Like, what is that? Like what, any idea, like how some go one way and some go the other? Yeah. You know, I, I would say there's, there's only two possible explanations. And I really studied the psychology of people when I wanted to coach because I wanted to understand how to reach them, how to push a button, how to, you know, and everybody's got a different button. But if you find that, well, if you find what they want, what they need, then you've won them over and you can get them to run through the wall and all that kind of stuff. But, but two people from the same place, same household, if they end up going down different paths, it's for one of two reasons. I think one it's the, it's the, it's, it's the kids or the friends or the peer group they surround themselves with. I mean, 
you are heavily influenced from the time you are in, you know, probably 10 years old, especially as a male, that's all the way through middle school. You don't really, it's hard for you to make your own independent choices until I think you're like 16, 17. It's still hard then, but that's the first time you've really got a shot. Uh, uh, so, so I think that's one is who you surround yourself with. And then the second one is if you truly have a spiritual or moral compass that will keep you from it. Luckily, I had a little bit of both because as, as a father, as, as, as a kid, as a person with a dad who is an alcoholic, the numbers will tell you it's way over 70 percent of kids who's, who has a parent that's an alcoholic becomes an alcoholic. And, you know. Uh, that would be easy to do. And 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 nowadays, you know, 90% of all kids try alcohol before they leave high school, 90. So that would have been easy to fall into, but I got lucky and surrounded myself with some friends. And then, you know, I was at rock bottom in, in when, when we were at home and we had to turn to God and that's, you know, that we went down that road. So I had both those reasons to keep me out of that. And then as I got older, I was, I'm a numbers guy. You know, I'm a numbers guy in football. I'm a numbers guy in everything. You know, I started studying, you know, how life can change and stuff. When I read the numbers about the alcoholism, I I, I decided then I'm never going to drink for two reasons. One, and I'm not against it. If my wife wants to have a glass of wine with a meal or whatever, I'm all for it. But I decided then two reasons. Number one, if, if, if I don't drink, I can't become an alcoholic. If I don't take the first drink. And, and, and number two, I never want to be under the influence of something where I'm not in control of my decisions because God knows when I get emotional, I'm bad enough with decisions. You know, we all are a little bit, but yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to let something else control my decision-making process. And, uh, and, and with that said, I just thought, and it'll save me money and it'll say, you know, so I, I just went a different direction and, and uh, it, but, but those are both reasons that I think kids the same too, because man, I you, you know, as soon as you said that, I think of fraternal twins and identical twins I've had. If anybody was going to be the same, it should have been them. Right. And I watched those paths separate by who they surrounded themselves by, or when one chose a spiritual a spiritual path and the other one chose not to. That that's that's the two things to me. No doubt about it. And that's you know, when when you deal with kids all the time, you know, things we try to stress is surround yourself with people you want to be like. You know, because when adversity yeah. hits, you better have somebody to lean on or a faith to lean on or life can be really hard. Thinking back to when I play, I played junior college ball at Heinz Community College in Raymond, Mississippi. And I had a, a high school teammate that went there with me. His name was Trevor Hamilton. The dude never had a sip of alcohol in his life. Like we would all go out and there would be so much crap. And this guy would have the most fun. And never drink a drop. And I'm going to tell you what, I admired that guy more than anybody in the world. You know, like I just thought how awesome that, you know, you can have the strength in yourself because, man, when you're 19 years old, it's hard. You know, like that's a hard decision yeah. to make. And it's not one that your, you know, your people look at and like, you know, look up to. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're yeah. Fun of. Um, for not being like that group, you know, but I did, man. Like I admire that dude more than anything in the world because of that. All right, let's fast forward. We get into college and I think you start off as an accountant major, which not surprising being a numbers guy, like what was your thought going into college with, you know, your plan for your life? You know, like what was, 
what was your goals and then how did it how did it take a turn to football well uh you know no i'm i'm the first person in my family in the history of the kelly milton family on my mom's side or my dad's side never go to college you know we're from south arkansas and and, you know, to be quite honest, I don't know if you bleeped this out or whatever, but if you didn't leave when you got out of high school, if you didn't go get a job making your money and earning your own way, you're I mean, that's what our family college sure. was for. You know, that's sure. what this what our mentality was. And uh, uh, so I, I my mom was really good about she was she didn't even graduate high school. She quit when she was 16 and she always thought college was what was going to bring you into a different lifestyle. We were dirt poor off and didn't have anything to eat at all. And uh, she was like, college is what's going to be the separator. So she really made me focus on grades and stuff like that. And so I decided that college was going to get me out of this awful setting, awful situation. And that was what I thought it was going to do. And, and, you know, because of naivety and not knowing, I thought accountants were, you know, the guys in charge of the numbers, that's the guys, you know, and, I like numbers and was good with them. And so that's what I thought. That's the first job I thought was going to be a good one that could get me out of this. It was something I like, something I thought I'd be good at. And uh, then I got there and did a couple of years of that. And then a couple of my friends were doing coaching, you know, and I was like, they look like they're having more fun. Than me. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, they look, you know, they, they look like they were looking forward to going to class and I and they could see themselves doing that. And the more I was doing accounting and we're sitting in a desk and sitting in an office and I was like, can I do this the rest of my life? Here's that big picture look I was looking at. Right. And I was like, I, I don't could I? Yeah, I could do anything. But but do I want to? And and the answer was no. So I switched over and, uh, and, and you know, the good and the bad was, you know, I was I was an average high school player. You know, I, I I wasn't afraid to hit, but I wasn't skilled. God didn't give me a lot of skills. I didn't have a dad throwing balls with me when I was young to learn how to do a bunch of stuff. And I just knew toughness. And and what I decided, I was trying to decide. I almost became a basketball coach, and and uh, and uh, I had a I had a, the the college coach there reached out to me where I was at Henderson State University and 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 offered me a GA job. And I all and I almost took it. Uh, because I didn't really care what I coached. I just wanted to coach. But I remember thinking, you know what? The thing I like about football more than basketball is in basketball, if you're going to be great, like truly great at it, you got to have skills. You've got to either be able to handle the ball, sure. shoot, or be tall and rebound and do that block shots. And in football, there was a level of success you could have just by being tough and giving it all you had. I mean, you can play outside linebacker if you're willing to sacrifice your body and be sure. tough and give it all you got and be halfway smart. Sure. And, you know, you might not be the quarterback. You might not be able to be a receiver, but you could be something in football if you're just willing to do those things. And that's what made me switch over to the football side was, was that right there. It's like I wanted to give every kid that wanted to play a, cha- a sport – because you can't play tennis unless you've got some skill and you started when you were young. You can't play golf, you know, well, unless you started when you were young. By the time you're in high right. school, you can't play. But football, you can play. And so I wanted to give every ch- kid that chance because that's really what kept me from wanting to jump off that bridge, you know, 50 times when I was younger. Sure. 
That's awesome. Well, tell me this. When you graduate, you end up in Texas first. Is that correct? How do you, yeah. how do you end up in Texas, you know, out of the state of Arkansas? You know, uh, I, it's funny. The the Texas high school football coaching clinic and the Arkansas high, high school football coaching clinic. I went to the Arkansas one and there were there's a job board and there were three jobs on the board. Three coaching. And I'm talking football, basketball, there are three coaches. And I'm like, that's it. And there's a bunch of me's running around there trying to trying to get those jobs. Sure. And uh, and I went and interviewed a couple, didn't get the jobs which is funny now because I'd like to go play those schools, you know, coaching. <laughs> but anyway, it is what it is. I was an idiot yeah. then. I wouldn't hire yeah. me either. Yeah, but, uh, but then I went down to Texas, the coaches clinic, and there were 1,100 jobs on the board. Wow. And I was – now they were all over Texas. Sure. And I was like, I can get one of these, you know, yeah. and I need a job, you know. So – so I go and I peel, I start peeling these things off and calling these guys and they were interviewing you at the clinic. Right. You, know, you didn't have to go, you know, so I interviewed for 11 jobs and got offered like 10 of them because they just needed somebody. They just sure. needed a guy to, you know, a young guy that was not married, would run around and work hard and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I got my pick of jobs. I, and, and, and now here's how it comes full circle. I literally picked the one that I could live the closest to where the Cowboys practiced and trained. Wow. And so that's how I picked my job and <laughs> talk about just not using any sure. sense, Sure, but it was right outside Dallas, you know, they and, and I could live in Valley ranch, which I did. And, uh, and my, I picked an apartment that overlooked the fence of the Cowboys practice facilities. I could watch them. I could sit in the bedroom and watch them practice. That seems I mean, that's pretty how, genius to me. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the way you ought to pick your job, but, but, uh, you know, it all worked out and I was lucky, you know, I think God puts people in your, in your life to, to, to remind you of something or send a message. And man, I was under the, I was under a guy that took me in tried to teach me the right way. And I was super duper lucky because, you know, one of the things he taught me as a young guy, we'd watch our coaches on his staff, watch other coaches. I want you to watch them. He goes, the one thing I've found out is when a guy, when a coach pulls a kid out of a game or decides that that kid's not first team or whatever, we often think that they know why they're not. And we don't tell them. And if we pull, he said, he goes, if I were you, one of the things I'd do is I'd always tell a kid why you pulled him or why you're, you know, why he's not starting. Cause maybe he can fix that. Wow. But man, there's nothing worse than wondering, you know, and, and I used to, and I experimented once I became a head coach, I really experimented and I did it sometimes. And I would, and I would later on, I'd wait a day and ask you, do you know why you're not playing? And someone would be like, well, it's because I'm not doing this. And I'm like, I didn't even know you weren't doing that. I, I pulled you for some other reason. They really didn't know. And when they don't know, kids nowadays, and, and, and even back then, kids, they might quit. Sure. Because if I don't know why, and I think I'm good enough, I'm going to think, oh, he just doesn't like me. Sure. That same thing happens in college and even the NFL, where guys don't know and they make assumptions on why, and then they decide, because the male ego does this, I'm better than him, it's just politics. And and I wouldn't play either sure. if I thought I was better, and and, and it wasn't that. So man, I, anybody watching this that's a coach, and always make sure that your guys know what you want from them, what you expect from them, even when you assume it. And and if you, you pull them out of the game 
Make sure they know why. And if you pull, and if they're not starting and it's close, it's another guy, make sure they know why. Because not knowing why or why for the first time in since the inception of football three years ago, high school numbers went down in a game of football. Right. Well, you know, I think that's fantastic advice because as I sit here, I think, you know, like we're currently 10 and 0. Everything's going great, but there have been a couple of scenarios where a kid you know isn't starting or gets pulled and the communication process has not been great you know and yeah. when the communication process breaks down there are other scenarios that they come up with that sometimes aren't real you know so right something that you know I think is great advice and if you were able to learn that you know early on gosh um what a blessing let me ask you this first first several years coaching were you you know like did you ever uh have second doubt you know have doubts about the profession you chose um and number two were you you know like were you in the process of trying to be elite at that age or were you just having a job you know what I'm saying yeah I really went about it I mean and some people don't think this is wrong but I really went about it the wrong way you know when you're young, you're into the set goals thing. You know, you read these goal books, set your goals, you know. So I was like, okay, I want to be an assistant for five years. Then I want to be a head coach in five years. Then I want to win a state championship five years later. So I was thinking, okay, 10 years after I start coaching, I'll be a state champion. And, you know, had no idea it doesn't really work like that. I mean, there's so much situational stuff, where you are, what happens, what size school. Yeah, I mean, there's a million things. And, uh, so the, the only good thing is it's good and bad. When I was in high school and uh, uh, when I was in 10th grade and started my high school football career, I hope he's not listening. I was lucky enough to have the, the worst high school coach in America. Okay. We didn't learn anything. I was a defensive back and a receiver playing both ways. You know how we did back then, played a lot of both ways. I didn't learn the first thing. I didn't even – we didn't even call cover two. He just stuck me out there at corner, and I'm supposed to cover somebody. And I didn't know what a coverage was. So I finished my sophomore year. By the way, that guy quit two minutes left in the first half of the third game of the year. Wow. Threw up his clipboard, threw up his clipboard and quit. I never saw the guy again. Never. Okay. <laughs> Wild, right? Our basketball – we were a tiny school. Our basketball coach, girls basketball coach – took over the program. He was only two coaches, the football coach and the girls basketball coach was an assistant. He took over and all we did was scrimmage and practice and play the rest of the year. Right. We were terrible. We went over my junior year. We get a new guy in and he's about, he, he just did some dumb stuff. At one point he sensed, he sensed some instability in the program and he walks in one day and hands his piece of paper and says, I get the feeling y'all don't want me. Here's a vote. Y'all vote me in or vote me out. I'm like, what is going on? Wow. Of course, the team voted him. The team voted him out. He walked out. <laughs> team voted him out. Then he comes back down and says, y'all aren't getting rid of me that easy. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, now you're not a man of your word. You know, whatever. I still learned zero football. So I graduated high school. In our senior year, I had a good class. We went seven and three, won the conference championship. Back then, they only took one team in the playoffs, right? But we were pretty good, but it was just based on we had a couple of really good players. I learned no I still did not know what a cover three was. Right. I didn't know what a bear from I didn't know anything. The beauty, the awfulness was when I went into coaching, I knew nothing. So 
I would watch and try to make sense of it myself. And what I did was I was able to come up with my own offensive scheme. I would try to watch guys, you know, good coaches, good offensive coaches, and, and learn and go, what are they trying to do here? But I was scared to ask because I knew I didn't even know the terminology. Sure. So I wouldn't ask anybody. I remember my first job in Texas. We were scouting. We'd go out on a Friday night and scout and uh, come back, and they'd give me part of it. And I'm, I manipulated and connived my way through without knowing anything because I was scared to ask a question, right? And so I would then – I was poor then. You know how you're poor when you get your first job. Right. I would go – I would go to the CC's Pizza that was like a buck ninety nine back then. And I'd go there and I would stay all day on like a Sunday and pay one one time. And I'd eat lunch and stay there and watch film and then eat, eat supper there too for a buck ninety nine. I kind of, I, I need to send CC's Pizza for like 60 bucks, you know? And so, so, but I watched film and I would just watch it and watch it and watch it and try to, uh, uh, try to learn so I wouldn't feel like an idiot when I was coaching with these other guys. Now, you know, I picked up pointers on the individual position stuff, but not on the whole, the whole overview of coaching. The beauty is that's why it was okay for me to start questioning football and do things a different way, because I didn't know why everybody was doing it the other way in the first place. I didn't know. And so my offensive scheme is different than everybody else's. Defensive philosophy is different than everybody else's because I never learned what everybody else was doing. I just did what made sense to me. And I would look and I'd be like, well, what if we did this, this, and this? Why wouldn't this work? And I'd talk, you know, when I've got enough confidence to ask somebody, they'd be like, I don't know. That's just not the way we do it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but could it work? I guess it could, but that's not the way we do it. I'm like, well, I'm dumb enough to try it. Right. So, so, so that's why I kind of ended up where I did and how I did. Man, that's awesome. I had two thoughts, you know, while you were talking. Number one, when I went in Mississippi, I was coaching powerlifting and girls powerlifting started. Well, the girls powerlifting technique was perfect because they came into the sport knowing nothing. You right. know, like they knew exactly nothing. right. They yep. did what you asked them to do. And it was perfect. You had very little technique issues. And then I think about my wife's uh, father who passed away several years ago you know, started a couple of construction companies, went bankrupt a couple of times. Then he goes into this consultant, large consulting group, and he takes a job on the ground floor level and kind of probably fools his way into the job. And he don't have a clue how to do none of it. So he would stay up all night long working just so he could go to work and fit in with the people he was with. And then he'd go home and learn out. And then you know, years later, he's the president of the entire company because yeah. the desire to do more than is expected was there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I get that from you too. You know, like your desire. That's what to- I did. That's what I did just to fit in with my staff. No doubt. I I, I'm, I was like, I mean, I dreaded going in if we start talking football in the sure. office because sure. I just sit over the corner. They thought, oh, the new guys just keep his mouth shut. New guy didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Right. Like I'm oblivious. You know, I felt like an idiot. Right. Well, you fast forward, you, you take a job at Pulaski Academy um, there in Arkansas. When did weird? Well, you, you've kind of got into this a little bit, but where did the inspiration to adopt the unconventional, you know, uh, strategies? When did that come about? How did that, you know, enter 
uh, and I'm guessing it entered, you know, at Pulaski from the time you were the OC till, you know, the time you became a head coach, you know, like when did that, how did that come about? Yeah. You know, I was really lucky when I was coaching down outside Dallas, Todd Dodge, who's kind of a bigger name in high school football. Now he yep. took our, he took our head high school job and he was vastly different than the guy before him. And he hadn't achieved all this success yet, but I liked some of the things he was trying to do on offense. And some of the things I saw were really stupid, uh, but, but it was different than I had seen. And that's what made me first, I think really start thinking, Hey, difference, not always bad, you know, especially if you've got a good reason for it. So then I go to PA and, and I'm an assistant there. And <laughs> funny enough, you know, the guy that was the, the superintendent at PA went to Duke and loved Duke basketball and thought everybody should be competitive every sport because he saw what it did for the school and everything else. He he had a guy that was fairly successful as a coach. I mean, he made the playoffs, and, but they couldn't make it. They made it to the semifinals once, but they couldn't make it past there. And uh, he just heard of this kid from Arkansas that was coaching down there under a guy named Todd Dodge and might know some offense. And he thought this guy was a, weak, a power eye guy. And he's like, it was 90, it was 97. So nobody was really throwing around and lighting it up, but it was just the air raid, the Houston, Houston Cougars with the David Klingler and the Andre Ware were just coming into fruition, I guess. Anyway, he reached out because he knew somebody that knew who I was and said, Hey, we've got an Arkansas kid down there that might have some influence in this area. Let's bring him up as our OC. So the superintendent reaches out and hires me as the OC. Wow. I come up and interview with him, and it was weird because the head coach went in there. Mm. And uh, and I thought that was weird. And I mean, because you know, he's on vacation right now. He knows what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. We get in, then he then then when he comes back from vacation, I've already taken the job like a dummy. Never never met the head coach. And wow. took the job, and he, he has us both in. He looks, and he goes, Coach, meet Coach Kelly. He's your new offensive coordinator. Well, we walk down to the office together, and uh, he's like, you ain't calling the place. And you ain't putting in your offense. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm subordinate guy. And I was like, ooh, this didn't sound good. So we didn't. And that year, they had what the school, what the people were saying was the best team we'd ever had. He didn't want to change it because he thought, we know what we're doing. This is the best chance sure. we got. We made it to the semifinals and got the crap kicked out of us. Okay. But again, that's the farthest that ever made it. Sure. So, so the next year, we kind of go through uh, we go through the same thing, and three games in, our starting quarterback, and we ran the triple option. He got hurt. Coach had him doing tackling drills, and and he got he got hurt. And right before the game, I mean, this is on Friday, twenty minutes before the game. He looks at me and goes, "Hey, put in a couple pass plays here, and we'll, we'll, we'll you can call the plays today." And I'm like, "Huh? I mean, no practice, no nothing." Wow. Right. So I put in a few plays and we won the game and we beat the defending champion from last year. And uh, we won with 37 seconds left. We threw a 32 yard touchdown pass that won the game. And all of a sudden there was a little pressure for him to let me call some plays. So he would call first and second down on the triple option and I would call third down. Okay. The pass play. The, yeah. Pass play. At the end of that year, it's the only year I've ever been a part of a team we didn't make the playoffs. We went six and four and didn't make it. The superintendent calls us in and he goes, look, Kelly, is this your offense y'all been running? He knew it wasn't. 
And I didn't know, you know, you don't want to throw your guy under the bus, but I, I'm honest too. And I'm like, no, sir. You know, and he looks at him, he goes, he's running the offense. Do you understand that? The head coach. And the next year I took over and we had a good run for three, for four years with me as the OC. And then when I took over as head coach to get to your question, when I took over as head coach, I remember walking in, going in and sitting down at the head coach's desk. Right. And it just all of a sudden hit me when my butt hit the seat. How am I going to be much better than that guy? You know, I mean, everybody wants to think they're better, but am I three wins better? Am I state champion? They've never even been there. How am I any better? And that's when I started breaking down the program. And and here's what I started doing. I took every month and goes, why are we doing in January what we're doing? Why? If I had good reasons, I did it. If I didn't, I threw it out. Literally threw it out. And then when I got to September, I started asking why. And I went through game week and said, okay, why Monday? Why Tuesday? Why? But then I got to on the field and I literally asked the question, okay, why do I want to run the offense I want to run? Why do I want to run defense? And I started going, though, why do we punt? So I brought my DC in. I was like, hey, why do we punt? Uh, Field position, defense wins championships. I'm like, well, I was reading something the other day, and it said maybe not. Maybe that was wrong. And it made sense to me. And then I watched a little video, and it made sense to me. And so I'm like, we're going to change things a little bit. I'm going to experiment with this non-punt. So my very first year as head coach in 03, I experimented with not punting. I walked into my AD's office. I said, hey, you're going to hear some crap because I'm going to punt. I'm not going to punt when everybody else does sometimes. I'm on to something here. He was like, coach, I'm never going to tell you how to coach. He had coached division uh, uh, Division two football in Nebraska. And he had said, coach, I'm not going to tell you how to coach, but I'm going to tell you when the Wolves come chasing, I'm not standing in their way because I don't believe in what you're doing. But sure. I will let you do it. And I said, hey, that's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to lose your job because you you let me do it. I'll tell them you told me you weren't going to stand in the way. You were going to let me do my job, though, and most coaches appreciate that. Well, he did in the very first year. Offensively, I was throwing the ball in 03, and nobody was throwing the ball around here. They had no – I didn't really know what I was doing. I thought I did, but I didn't. But nobody else on defense had any idea what they were doing. And we were throwing the ball all over the place and run a couple tunnel screens and screens. And we, we won a state championship my first year as a coach. Now in that year we played, we had to play 15 games to win the state championship. We punted 22 times in 15 games. So we still punted when it was an extreme situation and that kind of stuff. The more I did that every year after that, I gradually decreased the amount of times I punted. Because I saw, wait, if I'm literally only punt once a game or once every other game, why are we still putting 20 minutes a day on? What if I went over and didn't punt and took that 20 and put it into something else? Would that be valuable to me? I found that it was. And so then if I felt like I had to punt, I literally would waste one of my timeouts and get the guys over. And we had our little bunch formation, and I told my quarterback to punt. And I'd watch Gus Malzahn do that a little bit when he was at Shiloh Christian. And I was like, we can do it. But he did it normal punting downs. It's just the way he punted. And I did it. And I realized then we're getting all net because nobody knows when we're going to only punt once every other game, nobody's going to drop a guy back and play 10 on us because now we're playing 11 on 10 and they're scared of my passing game. So when I did do it, I was getting all net. It was, you know, it was worth it. And then in 07, 
we were playing a team that we would play later in the playoffs. And we were uh, we were up five points with like four minutes left in the game. And we were on about our own 40-yard line. It was fourth and seven. And I called up to my DC, who I made sit in the press box. I'm like, hey, Todd, if we punt the ball right here, can your defense hold these guys for sure? He goes, oh, absolutely, coach. You know how you know how coaches are. Oh, yeah, coach, that's the right thing to do, whatever, whatever. Because he darn sure didn't want to have the ball give it to them on their 40 because they're pretty good. We punted it. Five plays later, touchdown, we lose the game. And I was like, right then, I'm like, I am so done with this. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done. And I, that was the wrong thing. You shouldn't be done. But I was done with it. So that was 07. 08, I went into that season. I called our defense in in the in spring. And I said, listen, y'all need to pay attention in spring more than you've ever paid attention before. You need to be better than you ever before because we ain't punting the sinking ball. I'm not doing it. I don't care if it's fourth than 100. And those guys were really good. I mean, they were like, yeah. And I'm like, what, what, what? And they're like, we get to do, I love their, we get to do something nobody else does, coach. We get to defend every sliver of this field. And I'm like, that taught me. So, you know, you can learn from your kids if you just let yourself. And, uh, and that taught me like, these kids don't think like we think they didn't mind the opportunity. Matter of fact, they relished it. And I'm like, okay, I need to take a look at this. So, Anyway, we went through that year and won another championship. So, 03, and this is 08. And then somebody from the NFHS had, uh, NFHS had informed me that they couldn't find another season on record where a team won a state championship and did not punt the football. Wow. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, now we've, now we've got a paradigm shift, possibly. And then I just messed around with it after that. But after that, I was wanting to look for something else in the game that was different, but I could justify with good reason and try to experiment with it. And that's when we started onside kicking and we started doing it some, but then we weren't just onside kicking. We were pooch kicking and we were, we were uh, squib kicking. We were squib kicking. Then we, then I was like, what if we squib kicked it? So if it goes down there, it's still hard for them to turn, but we aim it at somebody. We might get lucky and it hits their front line and bounces back. Well, by the time we kept doing that, now I was like, this kickoff thing, this is a weapon. Other teams I hear are spending 30 minutes a day on, you know. And uh, so that's when we went all in on that. And then and then uh, 2009, I got to go speak at MIT uh, at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. No, no, the football guys weren't – no football guys were there. It was all hockey, basketball, baseball, NHL, MLB, NBA – and then I go in 2014, and here's where the real paradigm shift happened for me. I was a pretty good football coach, and, you know, you coach, you get better. In 2014, they Daryl Morey, who's now the GM for the 76ers, called me and said, hey, will you come back and do a talk? You know, uh, your last one was good. We still don't have anybody in football really using analytics. We need to because we think it's a big deal. In 2009, I'd, I'd been put on a stage with Buck Showalter, who is a longtime Yankees and Orioles manager. And they had us debate analytics, numbers over gut. Well, he called me back. He goes, that was great. We're going to put you on stage with uh, Bill James, the guy that was Boston Red Sox that used numbers to pick players, had been with, I guess, spent some time doing some stuff with the Oakland Athletics who wrote, and Moneyball was written about them in 05. Anyway, I said, listen, I'll do it, but I want to make a deal. I said, look, you don't have to pay for my flight. You don't have to pay for anything. I want one hour with the ESPN data scientists because they always had a booth on the site. So I got one hour with those guys 
And basically what I did was start asking him questions that I thought might help. I'm like, okay, I want to know little things like, you know, when a team, what percentage of time when a team gets the ball after, uh, after we score a touchdown and we kick off to them, what time, what percentage of time do they score a touchdown? They'd come up with some number. I'd say, okay, what if it's between the 20 and the 30, the 30 and the 40, the 40 and the 50, they'd tell me. I'd say, is there a difference if we scored a touchdown or if they got a turnover at the same spot? You know, does emotion play in the amount of times they score a touchdown? Or is the other team more aggressive at the play calling? You know, I ran all this and I came up with the top 10 things that affected the game the most on just who won. And number one, number two was turnovers. Everybody always thinks that's one. Number one was whoever had the most 20-yard plays in a game won the game. And I'm like, well, I'm on the right track because our offense is made. No, not as many stationary routes where you catch the ball backs to the defense. They were all running routes, digs and posts and slants and stuff like that. And uh, uh, so I'm already on that. Well, I'm starting looking down that list. Well, number three was quarterback sacks. Whoever had the most quarterback sacks in a game wins the game 77% of the time. This is in college football. So you can it, the numbers don't change much to yeah. pro or to high school. And so I'm like – so as soon as I go back, of course, I tell our defense coordinator, it's time to start blitzing like crazy. Because I looked up the stats on NFL quarterbacks, the greatest quarterbacks on the planet. They're all worse when they get blitzed. Sure. Now, they have rankings for who's the best against the blitz, but it's not the same as his numbers when he's not blitzed. They're all worse. So if you can fa- if you can get it through your head that, look, am I taking a chance at giving up a one-on-one play? Yes. But is it worth what that quarterback sack's going to mean? So then I always take the number, and I don't just blanket apply it. I like to reason through the whys, but I like to have some evidence. So then I looked at my own team. My last three years, Coach, at, at four years at PA, we scored a touchdown 92% of the time with our first team. Okay? That's an unfathomable, crazy number. Sure. Now, I'm really good at offense. I'm not good at much, but I'm probably the best play caller on the planet. Now, that's I'm not good at anything else, but sure. then that sounds braggadocious. <laughs> But the not, but except here's the except when one of three things happen. One, if we got a penalty on a drive, even if it was first down and, we, and it went to first and 15, even though we used four downs, even though all this, our number went from 92 to 18. Wow. For just a stinking five yard penalty or a whole anything, right? The number went, here's the other one if we had a drop ball on a drive. Just a drop. So we started emphasizing throw it and catch it like there's no – we always did, but I made my guys start catching year-round. 20 passes a day in offseason. You know, if you weren't in basketball or baseball and you're in offseason, you're catching 20 a day. And you're not standing there catching 20. You're running 20 quick routes, and they're catching them on the boot. And now we – I mean, I, I swear to you, my teams drop less balls than any football team on this planet at any level. Because if you do it every day, year-round, you're sure. No doubt. And then my here's the kicker, though. We went from 92 to 8% when we gave up a sack on a play. Eight. 92 down to eight. Wow. And what was the percentage on the drop ball? It went from 92 to what? Drop ball went down to 12. Wow. And, and all, so then you got to look for the reason why. You know, I think that was a mentality. Drop balls, if you'll pay attention, they're kind of like a plague. They kind of just spread all of a sudden. Yep. But the quarterback, maybe he's hesitant to throw it to that guy next time. 
Yep. Uh, the play caller, maybe that's the play that's open, but he doesn't want to call it to that guy the next time. I mean, you know, it could be a lot of reasons, but there was no denying the fact that I was looking at hundreds of drives, and that was a fact. Sure. And so, and then, but the the sack thing matched up with my uh, that my my sports my Sloan Sports Analytics Conference numbers from ESPN. I'm like, that's it. Blitz like crazy. Sure. I mean, just blitz like crazy. Put pressure on the quarterback. And da, 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 da. so when I started doing that, so I was a good football coach, good, just slightly above average from 03 to 2013. Some people that played me would still say I was better than good, sure. you know, but I'm going to say I was good. And we won three state championships in that amount of time. So you're looking at you know 12 years. When I started applying the things and I threw out so much of practice after that, and we started just working on the things that win games the most. Planning our defense and offense around those. We won six to the next seven state championships. Wow. Now, was that a coincidence? Did it all of a sudden become better? Or did I just start folk making and – and I preached it to my team. I wanted them to know. And 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 they knew the numbers. You could have said – you could have walked into my practice week seven and said, hey, guys, what percentage of the teams that win the sack battle win the game? You would have heard ten guys yell out 77%. Sure. Because I, I, if they understood it and believed it, they would try harder at it and wouldn't hesitate or wouldn't think that was a dumb call when we blitzed, even though it was a Hail Mary at the end of the game, when, at the end of the half, when everybody else rushes three. You know, they know how important that is and how it stops. So, the, you know, all that, I went way too long at answering the question. You just got to shut me up. Hope you get it. <laughs> but, but, but all that puts together and, and, and the open mindedness. That's my wife running around behind me right there. My, my, the open-mindedness of always trying to learn and thinking yeah. there's a better way because there is, or else we wouldn't have we wouldn't be zooming right now, right? We would have we would have stopped at telephone. No doubt. Telephones are the best way. No doubt. But somebody's like, no, there's a better way, and no there's always a better way. Well, several things, man. In that that I took number one, why are we doing what we're doing? Like. The fact that you questioned everything when you got the head job, I think is something that more people need to do every day of their life. You know, instead of I think there are so many people in this world that get up, run through life, go to bed, repeat, 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 instead of why do I do what I do? You know, whether it's in your yeah. profession or in your personal life, I thought that was, uh, you know, something. Now, let me ask you this. In like in 03 when you decide to not punt and I know there was a piece of a study or something that you ran across. Yeah. It was a Harvard professor. It was a Harvard professor that did a study in, about like punting in the NFL or something like that. Yeah. Did you read that before you come up with the question, why do we punt or did, why do we punt? And then I read that and then it just kind of, it just kind of, no, it was why it was, it was, why do we punt? Cause that made me go in and search on Yahoo. Not Google then, Yahoo. Wow. They made me go search on Yahoo. I'd be like, why do teams punt? And this guy's this guy's talk popped up. And I started reading it. And that, that's where it led to. Then I really started questioning, because I'm a numbers guy, and he was all numbers on this thing. Sure. Well, you know, I think curiosity is one thing that propels people, you know, and you seem to be extremely curious, and you were extremely curious in the – program you know with everything going on which is awesome you, you use the example which you know like anybody that's coached football has been there 
you're winning the game. You get to a fourth down around midfield and you get the choice, go for it and run out the clock or punt it and hold them on defense. And it's a struggle, you know, like it is a intrinsic to this day because I'm an offensive guy and I'm an O-line guy by trade. So, you know, run the ball, get the first down, run the clock out. And, you know, like that night, the game didn't turn out your way. You punted it, you know, they go down and score, you lose the ball game. I guess my question is, have you ever lost a big game with the exact opposite? You know, like you went for it, you didn't get it. Now, I know that's hypothetical because had you punted it, they could have returned the punt, right? I mean, that's a hypothetical question, but would would that be, you know, possible? I mean, is that something that you can – Yeah, you know, there's a guy named uh, Chris Four that, like, does a lot of stuff. He's in California. In 2013, he picked a random game out that we played. And we always put our play-by-play up on the internet. People could go through and look at uh, even the the thing. We played a playoff game. And we, uh, in that game, we went for it on fourth down one time. Well, went for it a bunch of times, but went for it on one time. And it was on our own 30 or so. It was raining. And we're a passing team. And our core, we called a screenplay. And it got picked, and the guy ran it back for a touchdown. We lost the game 57 to 50. Chris writes this article. I didn't know he was writing it. Chris writes this article, puts it out. He's got a lot of people that follow him. He's got emails. He's sending it out because his big deal was the shield punt. Right. Right. He was trying to sell the shield punt. He was yeah. trying to use me, I think, to sell to shield punt. And, and I like Chris is fine. I don't have a problem with Chris. Sure. But I did have a problem with one thing. He pointed that out as the reason we lost. And I said, Chris, it's just the opposite here. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I want you to go back through the play-by-play, and I want you to look in the second quarter when we had fourth down and seven on like our own 40, and everybody else in America would have punted it with it raining on your own end in a tie game. We went for it and threw a touchdown pass on that play when everybody else would have punted. So there's seven. Later on, we had another fourth and like eight, in the in in the third quarter or so, and it was on our own thirty, and we went for it, made it. When everybody else in America would have punted, and we didn't score that play, but we went down and scored that drive. So there was fourteen. So you're right, we did give up a pick six on fourth down, which could have happened on third or anything. But what I'll give it sure. to you, we would have punted them, but we scored fourteen that you did not give any credit to in your story. That's you can pick a moment out now to answer your question. There's not – this is the truth. I cannot remember a game that I would attribute we lost it because we didn't punt. Okay. Sure. Now, in, in hindsight, if you knew you weren't going to make a fourth down, you'd punt on all of them, right? Sure. But you also don't know when you're going to make it and how that's going to affect the other team. But I will give you uh, two two scenarios when when we punted, when I, when I justified it did. 2016. 15 or 16, we're playing in the state championship game. We've got the ball on the 50-yard line. It's fourth and seven, like a minute and two seconds left. The other team doesn't have any timeouts. I really thought we could make the first down. We're up by one point. And 
I thought we could make the first, but with no timeouts, I'm like, first of all, we haven't punted this year. They're not going to put anybody back. Second of all, I'm going to let my quarterback punt it like always, and it's going to look like we're just in a bunch set. And we'll we'll roll off 10 seconds on this play because the ball is going to roll around down there. Nobody's going to be down there and touch it. Because I told my guys, you go down there, you don't touch the ball until the guy blows the freaking whistle. Sure. And so we punted the ball then. And they got it down on their own 20-yard line. You know, we only punted it like 32 yards. But we ran off 10 or 12 seconds, and they had no timeouts left. And they're a non-passing team, which forced them to do something they didn't And we ended up winning the game. They made it back to about the 50-yard line. That was the time we punted. Up one, minute two left, on our 50, fourth and seven. But they had no timeouts, and they're a running team. I mean, like, there were games they didn't pass the ball in. Right. And so that was one. The other one was we were playing a team out of Memphis called MUS. as a private school, really good, uh, really well-known. And they came to our place and played. And there were three and a half minutes or so left. And we had the ball on our own 25, and it was fourth and 13. Now, we were up – I mean, at that time, we were we were dead uh, – a dead tied with them, okay? So – you're like, do we go to overtime? Do we, what do we do here? You know, whatever, whatever. And no, I take that back. We were winning by one. We were winning by one. Because my thought process was if we go, if we, if we punt here, okay, we only have one chance to win in layman's terms. You stop them on defense. Right. Okay. If we don't punt here and we go for it, we've got three chances to win. Here are the three. If we make the first down, we can run out the clock. If we don't make the first down, we could still stop them on defense, be it a shorter field, and we could win that way. But with three and a half minutes on your own 27 or 28-yard line, and we had three timeouts left, if we don't don't make it, don't punt it, don't make it, and give them the ball here, they can't even run enough plays to run out the clock because it was a 25-second clock back then a few years right. ago. And we will still get the ball back. I calculated that they went all the way to fourth down on their next two series. We would still have a minute left in the game. That's if they didn't drop a pass or run out of bounds. And they were trying to score, so there's no telling what they were, they were right. doing. So I thought, so we could still stop them, get the ball back with a minute left, and all we need is a field goal. There's three ways we can beat them if I go for it here. But if we punt it, there's only one way, stop them. So we went for it on fourth and 13. Everybody thought it was really dumb because fourth and 13 is hard to make. And we made it, so it didn't matter anyway. But, you know, that was another time that everybody would have said punt. So in one of those situations, I did punt. And the other one, I didn't punt. Sure. But there's always a reason, John. So, you know, my in my life, if you said, what, why, why are you wearing the shoes you're wearing today or the underwear you're wearing today, I could give you a reason. I literally won't pick a color underwear out of the drawer or a type without thinking about why. Sure. And it just takes me a split second. But if you have a reason – for everything you do, even if it doesn't work, you can live with it. If you just do it like I did based on emotion, not a justifiable reason back in 07, man, I had a hard time living that one down. Sure. Let me ask you this. What about, because this is something you've dealt with probably since 03, how do you handle haters? Because you've had your fair share, haters. Like people that just hate on you because, you know, like, First of all, people that are ultra successful have the most haters. But then when you are different, like you're going against father time, like you're going against 
you know, now, and I, and I would give you credit for, honestly, where football's gone with analytics. I mean, there are people that watch Lane Kiffin coach at Ole Miss and think this dude is like Satan, you know, because if the analytics say go for it, he goes for it. Like he is right, right. playing it by the numbers. And yeah. you know, those old timers think that's disrespectful. You know, like how have you handled the haters and, and being able to tolerate that? You know, I will say, you know, that started back in 03 when we just went, weren't punting. My first year as head coach, I go to the conference meeting at the end of the year where you nominate for all state, all that kind of crap. And I remember we, we, you know, they took the top four teams in the playoffs out of your conference, and everybody hated us because we we threw it all over the place. And I I would literally get messages and stuff, and people would say, you're making a mockery of the game of football. I'm like, who says you have to put it? Well, then I started reading and stuff, and 85% of all football coaches do what either their high school or college coach did. That's their philosophy. And, and I get it. That's like people that follow in their dad's footsteps sure. or you have the same political beliefs as your father or your mother or whoever, you know, whatever. I get it. That's their beliefs. But people were mad at me and saying I made a mockery of the game. Okay. Yeah. I would go to a coach's – I mean, I would go to the state coaches convention. And if I went by myself, people would literally move away from me at the table. Sure. Like I had the plague or something. And, it, you know, at first it was kind of hurtful because I thought I'd go there and people would like me and be like, what are you doing? Because you're, you sure. know, you know. And, and that bothered me a little bit, but I remember at that conference meeting, we had a coach that hated my guts, and his team finished fifth. And he got everybody there to vote against all my kids for all state. So here we win the conference and go undefeated in the conference, and they don't give one of my players all state. And his his team, we only got five total all staters out of the conference. The whole conference got five total. And his team had four. Everybody loved the guy, lovable guy, this, that, the other. His team got four. I stood up and I said, I'm going to ask for y'all to re-vote. And I'm going to tell you two reasons why. Number one, if I ran through y'all's conference and beat y'all by an average of 30 points each, and I don't have one All-State kid and y'all got them all, everybody thinks either you're a really bad coach or I'm one heck of a football coach. <laughs> and number two, I looked at that guy and I said, I know you orchestrated this, and you've got four of the five total All-States and your team didn't make the playoffs. What does your town think about you when you go back and announce that I had four out of the total five, and I couldn't even make the playoffs. Sure. I said, you know, and they didn't revote, and 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 so, you know, I beat the hell out of them for a couple of years. I'll be honest with you. Sure. You know, I had – don't, don't give somebody that's on to something, give them a little motivation. Sure. And after that, I really brought more hatred, vitriol on myself. And then I slowed down. I'm like, what – you know, what do you do? And, and I wasn't doing – I mean – I wasn't leaving our first team and running it up, but I sure didn't pull the second and third team off. Sure. I believed I believed in player development. If we put a sophomore in, I want them to run our stuff, defense and offense. We were still blitzing and doing all this because I want them to learn how to play our game. Those guys are going to be starting next year. Sure. And so we still played really hard, and I caught a bad reputation for that. Finally, I pulled back on some of that, and uh, – and the way I dealt with it was really the way I dealt with it. It really helped that I had a tough childhood growing up. I just knew that you just can't control whether somebody's going to be nice to you or like you or do whatever. But you got to remember this. And it, this is really where I remembered back to some of the things you were talking about when you're 19 and trying to decide you're at a party or you're going to drink, you're going to whatever. So many people do that. So many people make bad decisions, smoke pot for the first time, drink for the first time or whatever. 
and they do it because they care what everybody else thinks about. The only time you should care what everybody else thinks is if you're doing something wrong. You shouldn't care if you're not doing anything wrong. So at that moment, I started doing my coaching right. And look, we're still going to play hard, but I'm going to try not to run it up without embarrassing you. I'm not going to take a knee on the one. I think that's even worse. But we're going to do things right. And that way, I'm not worried about it anymore. If I do things right, I'm not going to worry about anybody what anybody else thinks. Now, if I start doing something wrong, I need to worry about it. Sure. But And then I start teaching our kids that, too, in the issues of outside of school, what you're doing. Guys, be who you want to be, not who somebody else wants you to be. Because as males, we really worry about impressing the females, the buddies, the whatever. And we really shouldn't because nobody cares five minutes later. If they're going, you know, trying to get Billy to drink his first beer, Billy, Billy, Billy. Five minutes later, they don't care. They just care about themselves again. Right. And no Billy doubt. did something he didn't want to. No so doubt. what are we really worried about? Nobody cares because we live in a selfish society. And that's, it's not a knock. I'm the same way. I mean, I hate it, but that's the way the world is. Sure. So five minutes after some guy runs a score up on somebody or somebody, you know, does something stupid, I don't care. I got my own crap to worry about. Sure. And so I thought, yeah, but you know what? I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror. I'm going to do everything I can as right as I can. And then I'm not going to worry about it. And that's, that's kind of the the attitude I took. It still can hurt. Sure. You know, and, and bother you some be like, dang it. I just wish they knew the real me and my heart, my thought, but in the end you can't control what people think or do. So you just go do your thing. Sure. One a term I've come across is FOPO fear of other people's opinions, man. You just, can't worry about it. You I like know, that. Just, I like, I'm gonna use that, John. Opo. Well, let me ask you this: Do you t- do you feel a small part of the reason why the analytics has gotten as big as it's gotten in college football and professional football? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's any question, and and, and that I'm I'm not saying that to be. That's no, the truth. That, that's not conceited or arrogant. I mean, I, it is what it is. Whenever it became, it started becoming a big story. In 06, ESPN wrote their first article on me. And then Sports Illustrated, then HBO Real Sports came out, and then it went crazy. And then college coaches started calling me and going, okay, now explain to me the numbers. Some would say, explain to me how play calling changes on fourth down. And then analytics got big when Daryl Morey started that Sloan Sports Analytics Clinic. The first year, there wasn't hardly anybody. And now every single professional sports franchise has 12 people or more there from the front office. And, and now football coaches are still the slowest at doing it. They're the last ones. And there's a good re a really good reason for that, that I've told everybody, but, but in the end, you know, if I don't start doing it, then somebody might have later, although I still can't believe people had gone all in. Sure. And but but somebody probably would have later, but probably you're probably right. The reason it's as far as it is, and that now teams are going, you know, I'm watching the NFL teams. The Philadelphia Eagles went for it on their own 30 yard line on fourth and one this weekend against Dallas, you know, in the first half. Nobody does that sure. 30 years ago. And but but now somebody just needed to present the side that not only is it okay to do, it's actually the right thing to do. Sure. And that, and everybody just needs, we all just needed somebody to clear a path for us. Nobody really wants to clear that path because no. you might get fired. Nick Saban told me that himself. Sure. You know, he goes, I think you're on to, he told me one day, I think you're on to something. But people get fired if you go for it on fourth and one in the first quarter and lose the game. That's right. That's so. right. It's still, it's still not, it's still not common. 
you know, so there's still the thought, you know, cause, and I find myself, cause I think, I think the analytics matter. I think it, you know, but I can find myself on Saturday watching college football and be like, uh, because the assumption is if you punt, you're going to play defense. You're going to, that's not, that's not true. You know, like that's not right. even, that's not even a fact. And I, which, you know, I well know, um, let me ask you this. And I'm sure you had, you know, when all that started at some point in time, you developed a relationship with Belichick and the Patriots through some of the analytic stuff. Was that, you know, how did that come about? You know, what, what was he, I know, I think he was interested in a particular onside kick maybe, but you know, what did you learn from that uh, relationship? Well, I learned that even when I thought that there was not too many more stones to un- to overturn. There's mm-hmm. a whole lot more stones to overturn. Wow. And, you know, he's a savant. I think he's a really highly intelligent guy, but he's a savant football, like sure. a savant. And, you know, man, I, every time I sit in, in a room with him, in a meeting with him, I learned something that I thought – and there's two kinds of what, what things that I learned that I, I put them in two categories. One was how did I never think about that? Right. And the other one was, the other one was, how did he think of that? You know, it's like, I would have never thought of that if you give me 500 years coaching. Sure. And so, but, but, but so many things are simple that he overturns that, that he pays attention to. I mean, that, that I'm like, that affected the game without them having any better talent, without them practicing a minute on it or whatever, just an idea, a decision, a simple thought that he instituted really quickly. And uh, so, so that's really what I learned from that. And, and, you know, people that are highly successful and I'm talking to your Bill Gates, if you read, uh, if you're reading Malcolm Gladwell books, yeah. uh, uh, Bill Gates, all these guys, those guys seem to em- truly embrace the grind. And there's very few people that embrace the grind. Sure. And a lot of football coaches think they do. And there's been times I did. You know, you have to learn that when life sucks sometimes or you'd rather be doing something else, if you're still going to do what you're doing, you might as well do it as hard as you can and get some more out of it, have a great attitude about it. And that's the, that's the switch you got to flip. And, and if you weren't still doing it – so. I remember, God, I remember after our first, you know, my first years as a coach, I won a state championship, and I thought, man, this ain't that hard. I don't, I don't know why. So I, I, I wish I could go back and really look. I don't think I spent as much time watching film in the off season that year because I thought it was easy. Sure. And when you, you know, it's hard to be sitting around in March during spring break, and when I had nothing to do. Man, I get out the thing and I start watching video and trying to come up with ideas. I'm not watching just to freaking watch. I'm watching to try to be creative, come sure. up with ideas and go, why did I do that? Why wouldn't we do this? Or look at the other team. Why are they doing that? Why wouldn't they do that? And that sparks ideas of creativity. And that's a grind. You sure. know, every time you just flip the computer over that you got nothing else to do. So then I start taking it in the bathroom. You know, you're going to sit on the toilet. I'm going to flip the computer open and, and be more efficient with my time. And if you embrace the grind, I think that gives you a step up on everybody else. I just really, really do. Because most people are not. Mm, uh, the vast majority of they people are not. Yeah. Well, 
Man, I'll tell you what, this time has flown by and you have been very kind. I want to ask one more before I let you go. And I'm just curious, where do you think football will go in the next 30, 40 years? And that's, I've been asked that question a lot. I think it continues to progress down the offensive ruled path. And what I mean is, look at the way they've taken – I mean, used to, as a receiver, you didn't want to go down the middle because you thought you might get killed. Sure. But when you when you when you change the rules and started throwing people out for that, and I'm, and they should, you know, I'm not sure. saying they should, you know, then it became coaches didn't mind using the entire field. Well, it's different defense when you got to guard between those hashes and between those numbers instead of just outside because you know you didn't want to send your guy got Jerry Rice, you didn't want to send him across the middle unless you knew right he wasn't going to be throwing the ball to unless he was open. And so that said. I think it continues because even look this year, college, they want the rules to be offensive, but they want to, the game not to be as long, so they change the not stopping the clock on first downs. And in the NFL, they did the same thing. As soon as they spot the ball, even if the ball's out of bounds in the first quarter, they start the clock right? because they want to be able to get their commercials in and keep the game down. Sure. So – while offense is up and they're like, well, we've got a little room for offense to come down by making more money. I think the offensive rules continue so they can continue to do that. Okay. I think that analytics will become more and more normal to use and you'll see teams doing that. And man, they're not even touching the surface yet. I could give you an anal. I mean, I've been using them. Like, if you look at the NFL next-gen stats and look at the average time quarterbacks have to throw the ball, there's only, like, five quarterbacks in the NFL that don't throw the ball, on average, from snap to throw in under three seconds. Three. Wow. Well, what does that mean? I mean, you know, well, some teams are like, we're going to throw it under three, we've got to show throw five-yard passes. No, the guy with the longest current yards per attempt is Tua Tagliavoa, and he's also the fastest one at getting the ball out. It's play design. And, and and play calling that allows him to be able to do that. He's throwing the ball 20 yards down the field, but still getting it out faster than anybody else. Well, what did that tell me was you got to eliminate sacks. You got to get it out faster because sacks kill drives. Remember yep. I told you that number. So this is, I'm giving you an example of how analytics has helped me that people aren't even using sacks, kill drives. What can I do? I can't just say we've got to block better. Hell, everybody's doing that, right? I want to block better. I want to block better but my guy may not be as good as your guy. My quarterback's got to get it out. So what can I do and not give up the fact that 20-yard plays are still super important? Well, we've still got to throw it down the field, so I've got to educate my quarterback to be much better in his pre-snap read to a point where I've got something I call, I don't even want to reveal it, but my quarterback pretty much knows where he's going to throw it a high percentage of the time where I've got a little thing I do with him uh, that I'm going to come out on coach tube with that might help some people. But analytics drove me to learn how to do that and be creative and put that in. So we could not give up the 20-yard plays on offense, but protect our quarterback from getting a sack that was a drive killer. These things are all out there, and nobody uses them. Like the first game of the year in the NFL, Detroit played Kansas City. I don't know if you remember. It was Thursday night football, I think. It was the first game of the year, and everybody's like, well, that's Kansas City. I mean, freak. Detroit's an up-and-comer, but it's Kansas City at Kansas City. They threw the ball between the hashes for the important plays of that game Detroit did and end up winning the game. Well, Kansas City was like second to last in defending between the hashes balls between 10 and 20 yards last year. I think a Detroit guy saw that, and by gosh, we are wearing that out. 
Those analytics are out there for teams to use, and they're just not using them. I've given some to NFL teams, handed them to them on a silver platter, and said, look at this, and guys go, okay, and don't use it. And that's all fine. That's what they get to be NFL coaches for, and I'm not a head NFL coach. But, man, they're out there. And I think to answer your question, 30 years, people are going to be more and more using those numbers because as we realize the money, even in high school, our football team played paid for football and every other sport except basketball. Sure. And you need to be good to keep making that money. NFL organizations are are worth $5 billion, $6 billion, $7 billion. If you were in a $5 billion organization and you were making the wrong decision as a CEO, you're getting fired. Right. In the NFL, I think they're going to start looking at that. Wait, the numbers say over hundreds of thousands of plays that you need to make this decision on that play or that penalty or that field goal or that kickoff or that whatever. You need to be doing that or you're not you're going to get fired. And I think it's going to head that way. But in reality, that makes it easier on coaches. Because then if it does go that way, your defense is, well, look, here are the numbers that back it up. We're not going to – it's not going to be right every time. But but we're going to win more than we're going to lose on that. And I think that's where it's headed. No doubt about it, man. I think that is – I think I think you're spot on because it's getting easier and easier and easier because there are people out there using it right now, you know. And yeah. Yeah. that old school will eventually, you know, work its way out, you know. So – I think that's absolutely awesome. Well, man, I have thoroughly enjoyed it, and I am one. We have an objective board in our team room that our objectives are all the the analytics that have come from you. You know, like we have the 20-plus plays. We have the turnover, yeah. the sacks. We have the tackle for a lot. Like, we got all of them, and that's the only thing that – that's the only thing that we care about when we come in on Sunday and share with our kids is how did we do on that? And yeah. more of those we can knock off. The more wins that we collect, there's no doubt about it. You well, know? and y'all have done a darn good job of that. Well, we, we try and <laughs> we try and to keep that going um, for as long as we can, for sure. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to be on. Um, hopefully, down the road we can do this again because I had three pages of questions and I think I got to like a half on one page, which is man, I'm sorry, I'm a talker. <laughs> you got no, it was you. awesome. It was fantastic, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, can, to- I, can I plug one thing on here for the coaches that are watching? Please do. Just, just releasing today uh, a, a, a two-by-two bunch package of plays on CoachTube. It might be up. If it's not, it'll be up within an hour. So I don't know when you air this. So it'll be up by the time they see it. But but uh, of plays that are easy to install, there's run on this one offensive formation. There's run pass, play action, uh, 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 screen plays, down the field pass plays and quick third and short and fourth and short plays, easy reads for your quarterback uh, that I put out there. Really, I mean, do I like to make the money? Yeah. Sure. But I really like help. I like, I like helping people have a chance. Anybody that's willing to open themselves up, that's who I'm for because that's how yeah. football has evolved to a better game that we all love being a part of. Well, I should I should have said that already because I, for one, am one that have bought some of those Coach Tube courses, I, you know, the on-site kick one. You know, like we will go out today and practice the helicopter, you know, like that is oh, yeah. one of them that we have worked on. So I know you have a lot of information out there. Where else, if if somebody wants to find out more information about you or, you know, to reach out, how do they how do they do that? Yeah, the easy way to do it is, uh, uh, like I said, the videos are on Coach too, but, yep. but, but you can reach out and DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Yep. And that's at Coach Kelly with an EY 
the number one. So at Coach Kelly one, DM me, and then my uh, email address is Coach K seven one three four nine at gmail.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-K-71349 at gmail.com. And uh, I've done everything from answer questions from people that have questions about that to just yep. random questions about coaching yeah. to to anything and everything. And I've actually got a couple of schools I contract with and consult and help them with their game plans and stuff like that, man. I'm out of coaching right now. I'm going to get back in it. I just wanted to start a business to get a little side income sure. going. And, uh, but, but man, uh, how can you not love being a coach? I envy you right now that you get to go out there today with your guys. Ain't no doubt, man. We're fired up. Well, I appreciate that, Kevin. I appreciate you being with us. I appreciate everybody joining. I ask that you share it, you know, and leave us a review if, if you like it. And until next time, adios, amigos. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment.